0: Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling is reminding businesses of the Curb to Compost program, which allows businesses, restaurants to have food waste collection. And this is an important next step in your businesses or restaurants recycling program. Welcome to episode 167 the Jackson Hole Connection recording in the not so sleepy town of Jackson Hole in rural Western Wyoming. Before we begin, I wanna thank you for tuning in today. I'm excited you're joining me right here for a little bit of connection here in Wyoming. Support for this episode comes from Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling, the place where maintaining a green world begins. We take your items for recycling, Please visit our website to learn what items may be recycled in Teton County. Remember, reduce, reuse, recycle, and compost to help keep items out of the landfills. And additional support comes from the Jackson Hole Marketplace, a little market in the neighborhood with a ton to offer. Visit jhmarketplace.com to peruse our intentionally curated gift basket ideas. Welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection. I'm Stephen Clark Abrams, your host. Thank you to all of you new listeners who are tuning in, and welcome back all of you experienced listeners. My mission is to bring you all fascinating stories of people connected to Jackson Hole. The people sharing their stories are the same people we see out walking their dogs on the dike, drinking coffee in the cafes, or enjoying a delicious glass of wine in the afternoons. I feel we all have a story to share, and I want to bring you stories which are going to connect and add good energy to your day. So, today, my guest is Phil Cameron, the Executive Director of Energy Conservation Works. Well, what is the Energy Conservation Works? Well, Phil's going to tell us today. I do know that the Energy Conservation Works has helped many homeowners and business owners like myself make significant upgrades to their homes and businesses to reduce energy consumption. Phil is a dad, a husband, and a community contributor who's been calling the Valley home for almost 20 years. Over the years, Phil has had several different roles of leadership in the Valley, which have all made a positive impact on our ecosystem. If you have not met Phil around town, I hope after listening today, you'll reach out to Phil and see how he can help you make a difference in your community as well. Hey, Phil, thank you for joining me here today at the Jackson Hole Connection. Wonderful to have some time and sit down and talk to you.
1: I'm excited to be here. It's great to see you.
0: Likewise. Likewise. Let's start off the conversation as I do all conversations, and you can share with everybody Where did you grow up? What's your background? And then how did you land here in Jackson, whole Wyoming of all places? Unless you were born here, then it's a short conversation.
1: (laughs) I was not born here. I'd like to think that I've lived my entire adult life here, but uh, in a slightly inefficient route, I came to Wyoming by way of Ohio via Massachusetts. Um, So I grew up in Northeastern Ohio, and my college career took me to Amherst College in Western Massachusetts. Um, so I had a um, great upbringing uh, in, in the Northwest, and it's a place uh, that I was fortunate um, to have a lot of a lot of fun uh, outdoors and roaming widely, kind of on the fridges of suburban Ohio before I headed uh, to New England uh, for my for my college experience. And then, about a week after I graduated with a degree in geology, I landed in Jackson, Wyoming, um, We're just outside in the in the in the Teton Valley side, and that's all she wrote. Really, uh, been here for almost twenty years and um, had a lot of great opportunities, and have been so happy to be part of these communities on both sides of the Tetons over the years. Now, did you come out here to practice your geology degree? Um, I I got my first taste of Jackson as part of my education, I would say. I spent a summer in college in in the greater Yellowstone region. So I was doing geology field work throughout northern Yellowstone area, parts of Wyoming, Montana. And I came and went driving uh, through Jackson uh, that summer. And when I headed back uh, to New England for my last year of school and to finish up my um, senior project and play my last season of lacrosse, uh, I decided that I wanted to come back out for another little stretch. So I planned to come out for the for the summer after graduating from school. And as is the story with so many, uh, I found it difficult to to move on from here.
0: Kind of sucks you in, doesn't it? It, it does. It's got a firm grip. Yeah, it, it's it's a nice place to be in the sand trap.
1: <laughs> That's
0: right. Now, you landed on the sunny side of the hill, as it's referred to.
1: Yeah, it wasn't sunny when I landed, though. It was kind of jarring to to come from spring in New England to a 10-inch snowstorm in May. Um, but I I adjusted. And yeah, I, I had family in Teton Valley and I have, um, a cousin in the area. So I came out to work for him and guide fly fishing for a summer before I moved on to um, other opportunities. and. Yeah, we know how that went.
0: So your first summer out here, you take a job guiding for fly fishing. And were you did you have experience fly fishing?
1: Yeah, I kind of threw myself into fly fishing. As I said, I grew up uh, in an area that I got to spend a lot of time outside kind of I would say structured um, Mm -hmm. and unstructured. And I spent a lot of time fishing. Um, I had a grandfather who lived nearby and I really loved fishing. And at some point uh, in my youth uh, maybe early in high school i picked up a norman mclean's um book uh, river runs through it and it struck a chord and i kind of threw myself at learning the sport of fly fishing and kind of was at the outset t- self-taught uh, and then fortunately was able to benefit from some family my cousin and uncle who were really avid anglers um, on the fly and so by the time i came out here i'd been fly fishing for a while uh, but I had never experienced anything like fish in the big waters of the, of the West. So um, that summer in college was amazing. And coming here, I kind of, I uh, was pretty excited to really immerse myself in it when I arrived. Cool.
0: Um, I've never read the book.
1: How does that book compare to the movie? Um, you know, how does any book compare to a movie? You know, I think if, if, yeah, if you've read it, there's kind of a, there's, there's a nuance to it and there's some, Certain things that can't be captured, but uh, you know, as far as as far as adaptations of books go, I think it's a pretty strong one that you know resonated with me. I actually wrote my college essay on um, on that book, or one of my college essays on an excerpt from A River Runs Through It, and so it, it stuck with me certainly. That's awesome.
0: I I love that. And so you come out here and you're a fly fishing guide your
1: first year. Who did you work for? Um, I was with world cast anglers, mm-hmm. um, they have offices in Jackson and, and Victor and have grown to be, uh, quite a you know substantial outfitter in the region and internationally in that time. So yeah, my cousin, my cousin, my older cousin from whom I gleaned some of my fishing, uh, knowledge had just moved to Victor from Denver, uh, had an M gotten an MBA and came up to work with this outfitter as their um, I think CFO, uh, and to help them grow the business. And so I landed in his, in his cabin in Victor uh, shortly after he had arrived here.
0: Nice. Nice. And so what else have you done out there? You're now the, now you're the executive director of energy conservation works, but like other people in a 20 year span, most people have done something else in this area.
1: Yeah, I had I got exposed to the Teton Science Schools pretty early after arriving here. I had a a friend from high school who was participating in their residency program, living and teaching up in the park, and I got pretty interested in that and ended up uh, living and working up in Kelly for a couple years um, as I did the graduate residency program with the science school, which was really impactful. I mean, being in that place obviously year round, but also. For me, transitioning from a pretty, you know, I would say technical uh, science background into that education role, but also getting exposed to the, you know, the function of an environmental organization and an educational organization like Teton Science Schools was pretty formative for me as well. So I got some great opportunities to do everything from teaching field education to, you know, fifth through high school and college students out in the field, everything from, you know, half day courses to month long courses. Uh, I was able to work with teacher training programs and administer a statewide water quality monitoring network. Uh, and then also got to participate in some of the kind of, as I said, operational aspects of that campus, began to learn and understand how to write grants. And and then through a colleague at the school, actually got exposed to nonprofit service, uh, joining a board member of cold water fisheries conservation organization, Jackson Hole, Drought Unlimited. And so it was a, a pretty impactful couple of years with the science school uh, that I think set the stage for me starting some roots here in the Valley.
0: Was that your first exposure to working with nonprofits?
1: Yeah, by and large, uh, I had been involved in, in service at the high school I went to, um, both kind of in service of the school, uh, and in other capacities, but, um, More on the volunteer kind of on the ground model. And so that was my first opportunity to really get some exposure to organizational governance and fundraising and philanthropy.
0: I like what you just said, you know, the organizational governance side of things. So, what would you say the impact of that was working, you know, being exposed to the nonprofits as far as guiding you
1: into your next careers? Well, you know, I think at a very, very simple level, it, it bolstered my understanding of the community and the region, you know, Mm -hmm. both ecologically, but then also, um, on that kind of philanthropy and, and service side. And, and so for me, I felt like I had, you know, certain skills that I developed to that point that were beneficial for the organization, you know, my gift of, um, time, uh, and that, um, treasure that I could muster to directly support the organization also were layered in there. But I think I I started to realize, you know, the, I would say, mutually beneficial uh, situation in those service opportunities, where as a board member, I would like to think and hope that my service contributed to the benefit of the mission of the organization. But as an individual, I'm also really thankful for that which I gleaned, uh, from that first you know volunteer board role that I took in the community that you know grew into others across different sectors and topics over the years. So it was really a i hope a two way street um, it was, and I know I enjoyed it.
0: I'm sure it was. and I appreciate what you did for the community because on any level, there's always getting out there to volunteer for organizations in any community is really important. and it's nice to hear that you had an experience that helped prime the pump a little bit for you, which I think we all need a little bit of a reminder of the importance of getting out there for our community.
1: Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. You know, we're all invested in this place and there's mm-hmm. lots of opportunities to get, get out there. Uh, and there's, you know, I don't think people are volunteering because they are seeking to gain something for it. But at the very least, we have an opportunity for satisfaction and growth out of those opportunities.
0: Well, I, if anything, you get out, out of it is knowing that you're helping an organization fulfill its mission. Mm -hmm. It's something that you align with whoever it is. And I don't think it's necessarily for personal gain, but it is the reward of knowing that you're giving back to other people or benefiting the community is benefiting from it.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Now your role as energy conservation works, being the executive director in that organization, how did that come about
1: um, you know, I got that exposure and connection to the valley through guiding, and I think it got more bedded in through education and and volunteerism in the community. Uh, and then I had opportunities that, you know, frankly, I was able to apply my background through uh, some some public and private uh, stewardship positions that I held throughout the community, and ultimately uh, had the opportunity in the late two thousands to kind of transition from kind of geology and environmental science and biology into the energy field. Uh, And that was with Yellowstone Teton Clean Cities, which is a great, vibrant organization in the community working on clean transportation projects and programs. And I was hired on as their first full-time executive director. So while it was a pivot for me on topic, I think it was something that My background to that point really benefited from uh, having, you know, a fairly robust scientific literacy and the ability to take on some of those challenging new topics, as I'd already experienced here um, through my work with the science school. But I really stepped into it. It was really supported by a great board. Uh, so that was my first time, you know, having that direct relationship with the board of directors of the organization. And it had the great great support of a Department of Energy affiliation. So I was able to go deep into the energy sector and, you know, become pretty well informed on in those topics. But, you know, one of the real high points of it was working within the gateway communities in and around Grand town and Yellowstone parks. And so that's what I think opened the door to working with in particular, local government agencies. And so my work with Clean Cities started to overlap with the town of Jackson and Teton County and Lower Valley Energy as they kicked off their 10 by 10 initiative in the kind of mid to late 2000s that was focused on assessing and reducing their energy use and their emissions footprints. And so in 2014, um, when energy conservation works, uh, was seeking a new executive director. I was given that opportunity. I think it built upon the foundation with clean cities and, um, some of the previous collaboration i would had locally and regionally. And, you know, again, I, I nudged my area of expertise, if I can be so bold and got more broadly involved with energy work in the community beyond just transportation with, with ECW. Cool.
0: Thank you. Um, We're going to take a quick break to get a word from our sponsor, and then we're going to be right back. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling estimates that approximately 3,954 tons of food waste are disposed in the trash right here in Teton County every year. This makes food waste the next frontier material in the quest to achieve our county's goal to reduce waste and recycle more, which will help us aim for zero waste. For more information on Teton County Integrated Solid Waste and Recycling's Curb to Compost Commercial Food Waste Program, visit tetoncountywy.gov recycle and join today. Did you know Teton County has to pay to ship all of our waste to a regional landfill? And did you know by recycling accepted items at the Recycling Center, you are contributing to a healthier community? Well, Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling handles all of this dirty stuff we call trash or hopefully recyclables. What may be recycled? Well, download the Recycle Coach app today available in Google Play or the Apple Store. Recycling and composting benefits the entire community ecosystem. Download that Recycling Coach today so you may be a better community recycler. And remember to keep those reusable bags in your car or truck so they are always handy when you go out shopping. An additional support comes from the vault of Jackson Hole. Jackson Hole's only climate-controlled wine storage facility offering temperature-controlled storage for businesses as well. Give them a call at 307-248-6392. Phil, welcome back. We are just talking about how you entered the world of being the Executive Director of Energy Conservation Works. And in the beginning, you, you mentioned something about it, how our town had a 10 by 10 initiative when it came to energy. Could you define that a little bit for everybody?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, and I think an important precursor to that was when our local government uh, took some initial action and made some initial commitments as it related to um, stewardship of the community and acting on climate change. And so in 2006, the town of Jackson uh, signed uh, an international mayor's climate protection agreement Uh, that was kicked off and um, they attended a along with folks from the county, attended a a workshop and conference hosted down in Aspen. And so like, you know, like many great stories, uh, this one kind of began with a road trip. uh, And when staff and electeds at the town and county saw what was in the works in Aspen as it related to their community energy use, their community emissions footprints, they came back here uh, pretty fired up to do such things here. And so that one of their first actions was setting a goal of reducing local government's energy use and emissions productions 10 percent over the course of three years. And Lower Valley Energy became a key partner in that. And there was some synergies between protecting our really low cost, relatively clean electricity and avoiding going to other sources uh, that didn't align with the community vision on energy. Uh, and then you know frankly, as an outsider, when I was with Clean cities working on transportation, we were able to bring transportation up as an important topic uh in our in our community's emissions footprint. Um, but the our organization, which is now formerly a joint powers board, grew out of that initial ability and willingness of those three different entities, the town of Jackson, Teton County, and Lower Valley, to partner on a shared vision uh, to be a leader in energy efficiency and conservation. Um, so it still strongly relies on that partnership and it's grown fairly significantly to encompass the community more broadly as, as you're familiar with as a member of Lower Valley and uh, a community member who's who's been able to participate in some of those programs.
0: Yeah, I, I certainly appreciate the programs. Why don't you tell us how your role plays into some of those programs that are out there? and and what you're, you're doing to help ensure that community members can um, participate in those programs?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think at our core, we really exist to knock down barriers as it relates to making the more efficient choice, uh, to making the conservation focused choice, to implementing the renewable energy projects. And so we have different key programs that serve our local government agencies, the town, the county, and some of our other public districts. But you know, one of the ways that we've really reached out in the community is through programs like our residential loan program that really marry up with the home energy audit program and some of the energy efficiency rebates that our cooperatively owned utility, Lower Valley, offers. And we kind of help people get that last step to completing their projects. Because oftentimes in this place that is so expensive to live, even though we have some of the cheapest energy in the country here, it is still a daunting task to make big investments in efficiency projects. And so we're able to lend money to homeowners. And they're repaying those loans on their on their power bill with, um, you know, to some extent the savings that they're seeing through the projects. They're increasing the comfort of their homes, uh, reducing their operating, operating costs, their utility costs, very mm-hmm. business speak there. Uh, and and hopefully the more comfortable too and and you know since then obviously you're familiar with the with that loan program we've been able to to mirror that through other funding sources uh, to offer the same service to businesses in the community as well so you know providing the incentives providing the financing providing the encouragement technical support are all facets of what we provide to the community on these energy projects
0: yeah my wife and i took advantage, not took advantage, we participated in in the program because we had a 30, 40-year-old house where you could see gaps between the window and outside. And for the cost of windows, the installation to change out windows cost the same amount as the windows themselves. And we didn't have the money to do it. But with your program and the financing that you offered, it was 0% over five years and it just added... I think it added $100 to our bill each month.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the struggle is real to make mm-hmm. that kind of investment here, uh, given our high cost of living. And, you know, we're thankful that over 150 households in the Lower Valley area have participated in that program, um, uh, you know, have benefited from it, and they've benefited our community vision in taking those steps. You know, it starts with one house, and then soon enough, we have 150 homes and, Very recently, we were able to renew that funding source from the Wyoming Energy Authority. So um, I think that's an acknowledgement of of the interest in the program, the opportunity to reduce our energy use here in in a very challenging climate uh, from an efficiency standpoint. Um, And we're, you know, we're thankful to have the continued support and partnership of Lower Valley on that program, because that really gives it gives it gives it legs. Uh, and I think, uh, while I think we are a very legitimate organization, to have the utilities backing on it is is really helpful. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, whether somebody cares about energy conservation or not, uh, just to replace your windows to um, live in a more comfortable
1: home, that should do it right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've got the home comfort, the value of your home, and mm-hmm. the cost savings all layered up. and packaged up nicely with the environmental benefits. And, and we're fortunate. We have some pretty
0: low energy costs. What are our energy costs compared to the rest of the country?
1: Well, uh, I can fairly safely say that we have the cheapest electricity of any energy cooperative in the country, which generally puts you at the cheapest energy costs in the country. So as a cooperatively owned utility, you're a member. I'm a member. Anyone with a Lower Valley bill is a member of that utility, and their key priorities, you know, are focused on providing low-cost energy, reliable, uh, safe energy, and providing good customer service. And I think these conservation programs help them accomplish all of those things. Are you aware of
0: how much of the energy used here in our county is green energy?
1: That is a good question. We partnered with lower valley starting in the fall of 2017 with the express purpose of increasing awareness and in hopes of increasing participation in their green power program and so you know as it is lower valley energy gets a lot of their electricity from historic large hydroelectric projects so we have a a fairly low emission electricity source as it is but This program allows residents to opt in to a slightly higher rate, and that money goes directly into the utility procuring electricity from local and regional wind and small-scale hydro and other certified renewable projects. So we had about 4% participation when we started that program, and we're getting up into the low teens by way of participation in uh, lower valley energy account holders. Uh, but in that time, you know, is the great thing about that program is anyone can participate if they have a utility bill. So each and every one of us can be impactful in that way. And, you know, we have everything from, you know, a small studio cabin up to some of our um, iconic and significant utility members like Jackson Hole Mountain Resort and the Jackson Hole Airport in the town and the county um, and businesses like yours. Uh, participating in that voluntary program and so we've been able to triple by volume the participation or the 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 amount of electricity that's been purchased because of that huge spread of organizational type from residents small residences to large uh, commercial entities and agencies
0: that's that's awesome um big numbers i mean when you get some of those big institutional um, users of, of electricity that's a big number right there the hospital the airport JHMR. I can't imagine what it takes to get the tram up the hill.
1: And, it, and it's also great with, with some of those partners. Again, it scales, but to be working jointly with them on the green power and on their efficiency and conservation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, So we've been able to partner with the airport to help them apply for and receive some restricted public energy funds that have gone into more efficiently uh, and effectively lighting their parking lot to auditing and commissioning their buildings, to looking at electrification of fleets and public vehicle charging. And so um, we always want to remember that the mantra that the cheapest, cleanest energy is the energy we never use. Mm -hmm. And and I I always like to reiterate that multiple times when given the opportunity. But, you know, basically our our least cost and least impactful um, source of energy is doing more with the energy we already have. Um, certainly we want to encourage those larger scale green power opportunities, but what you can do in a home or in a ski resort with you know simple steps like uh, spray foam and caulk and insulation um, are really important. I, I read something the other day, the American Council for Energy Efficient Economies noted that hitting some of our global emissions goals, um, we can get halfway there with a robust rollout of efficiency. Hmm. So if we can reduce our load and supply um, cleaner electricity sources and transportation sources, it's going to take both of those approaches.
0: You had mentioned a little bit ago for local renewable energy sources, like wind and and solar or or water, Mm -hmm. are there? Those sources coming from this directly from this area?
1: Yeah. Um, a couple great examples uh, that, you know, one of two of which or three of which are owned and operated by Lower Valley. Uh, Lower Valley has three micro hydroelectric facilities. So those are small-scale hydropower plants. Um, and the one of them is very simply on the, the potable water system in the in this town of Afton. Uh, that has, you know, comes from a spring high in the mountains, and they have a turbine in the in the supply line, and that generates local um, green power. So it meets the EPA's definition of green power. And, and then they also operate two low-impact hydro facilities on Strawberry Creek and Swift Creek. And those have been around kind of since the Civilian Conservation Corps era, uh, but they were able to pretty significantly update their efficiency and reduce their impacts. And they were able to do that in part by getting commitments from the town of Jackson Mm -hmm. as a government agency and Teton County uh, to purchase that electricity that they were going to be able to produce with enhancements to the the facilities. So we have those low-impact hydro projects. And then we've all made the drive to Idaho Falls at some point. There are two different wind farms over there. And the one further back up on the Butte is known as Horse Butte Wind Farm. And Lower Valley Energy has an interest in that project and and purchases quite a bit of our green power program electricity from that project. And that's, again, another large, that's a larger scale renewable project that actually directly connects to Lower Valley Energy's grid. So when, when those turbines are stopped because of conditions and need to restart back up. They pull actually they pull electricity from the Lower Valley grid. And then Lower Valley is able to buy that electricity back and and help supply the green power program.
0: Hmm. And
1: where where is Strawberry Creek and Swift Creek? I'm not Oh those are uh, sorry. Uh, sorry. Um those are both also in Star Valley.
0: Okay. Yeah. And historically Jackson had a hydroelectric plant, did it? Jackson
1: Lake. No. What? No, not Jackson Lake. Wasn't there something? What was it? Cache Creek. Yeah, the Cache Creek tube. Yep, and some of the remnants of that are still are still around. Um, um, I know the our Teton County Housing Authority recently acquired the Brown property um, adjacent to one of LV's substations in East Jackson, and a lot of that original equipment is still there on site. It's not in service uh, anymore. But yeah, there was there was a. Um, a hydro plant or hydro plants along Cache Creek going way back. So we have, we have a long history with hydroelectricity here.
0: And and what's the, the debate status now, as far as allowing that to come back, it, would it be beneficial to the community for what it would cost to install a plant that would create energy?
1: Yeah, I, I would have to suspect, and, and again, this is my somewhat informed Uh, opinion that um, the cost of installing and producing electricity in that system would not be worth the economic benefit. But then layered on top of that, the community has made some strides recently. We've heard about them daylighting Cache Creek uh, through the block, the Genevieve block project. And our partners at the conservation district with whom we work on energy issues have had a lot of involvement in, in leadership and engagement on opportunities to better take care of water quality and um, the, the current state of Cache Creek. So I don't know that that would be an ideal fit and that money um, that a system like that might cost could probably be better invested in, you know, efficiency projects first, and then maybe other renewable generation. Mm.
0: Interesting. What's the history of conservation here in the valley?
1: You know, I think we like to we like to highlight the fact that you know Teton County has uh, owns a chunk of what we consider the world's first national park in Yellowstone, uh, and I think um, you know so dating back to 1872 on that. But I think there's a lot to uh, the fabric of conservation in the community. I had the opportunity. Uh, for a number of years to serve on the board of the Murie Center uh, up in Grand Teton National Park on on the former Murie Ranch, and um, learned quite a bit about the role that that particular family, the Muries, played in conservation here in the Valley and, frankly, throughout our country. And that place, um, I think it holds a special place in my heart, but the impact of the Muries and, and some of what happened on that ranch kind of led into it being known as the birthplace of conservation. And that that is, you know, really referring to some of the dialogue on, you know, best management of wildlife and landscape-scale stewardship, you know, here and elsewhere. Uh, the founders of the Wilderness Society put their heads together on that ranch. Uh, and I think we have, you know, pretty significant bona fides as a community um, relating to ecosystem conservation and And stewardship in that regard, it's some pretty cool accolades that some notable members of the valley residents of the valley participated in.
0: not a bad thing to be recognized for in a, in a, yeah in, right yeah, uh the birthplace of conservation, and talk about visionaries with the muries and and where they were, you know you think about their you know the time frame where they operated and talking about conservation it, it wasn't a buzzword let's put it like that it, probably, it was yeah. happening but it, it wasn't
1: a major word right and i mean they were always interesting to me because they i mean they lived it you know to understand and, and if you haven't i definitely encourage you to pick up one of the Murries' books um there's great ones about their time in alaska uh about their time in in jackson and to understand the lengths to which uh, they applied olas's scientific expertise um, alongside Marty's passion uh, and uh, ability to engage and advocate uh, was was really pretty amazing.
0: It, any idea as far as why they chose Jackson to be their home?
1: Um, Olas was actually uh, he was uh, brought in um, in a precursor to the National Elk Refuge um, mm-hmm. to do research on local elk herds. Uh, And if I'm remembering correctly, and I'm sure I'm not completely remembering correctly, but uh, some of that research focused on uh, following the herds uh, into their uh, summer range and, and understanding some of the impact of the around the turn of the century, there was a major elk die off that resulted, you know, I think in some degree to circumstances and 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 you know climate weather of of those particular years but also in a changing jackson where those elk were coming into a community that was starting to be developed and um maybe not able to migrate through the valley as well as they had been in the past Hmm. so elk biologists is why they um (laughs) why they came here that was the job listing but uh, then they really took root
0: yeah they did um Talk about making a national and international impact on what, you know, nature is about and the importance and conserving it. Um, They were certainly at the forefront of what they were doing, if we'd call it an industry. Right. Certainly the leaders in it. Um, Phil, if people wanted to reach out and connect to you and learn more about energy conservation works or more about what you do, um, how can they find you?
1: Uh, well, like so many other things in our lives, uh, they can find us on the web, uh, energy concert. <laughs> yeah, I know the what, um, energy conservation uh, to find us on the website. We're on social media, Facebook, Instagram. We've got routine weekly, uh, posting themes, um, or threads. Uh, so you can learn a little bit about, uh, how to keep your conservation tips up, uh, what's going on with news in the energy world. Uh, and then we really like to, uh, given how much we rely on partnership, we like to recognize and thank our partners uh, as routinely as often. So check out our thank you Thursdays on Facebook and Instagram as well.
0: we'll We'll do that. Bill, I, I so appreciate you taking the time, the multitudes of time, maybe not the right word, but to to sit down and talk to me. And to learn more about energy conservation works, I appreciate what you're doing for us here in this little corner of the woods um and cuz we do have a special place and takes people like yourself to ensure that we can have it for future generations.
1: Well, yeah, thank thanks for the opportunity. It's always fun to chat and glad we were able to do it. And just, you know, as as a parting thought, I just encourage those folks who are who are listening to get in touch with us. There's something you can do today. There's something you can do tomorrow, there's something you can do next week. And we want to be there to help make those actions a reality and i think we have a lot of tools to do that mm-hmm. cool
0: all right phil i'm gonna release you to the whirlwind and probably got some kids at home to take care of it's getting ready close to kid time and i, I appreciate what you do and it's great to see you thank you
1: yeah thanks again great to all visit right.
0: take care bye to learn more about phil and the energy conservation works visit the jacksonholeconnection.com episode number 167 That's right, 167 episodes. Many thanks to everyone who helped keep the Jackson Hole Connection on the air. My editor and marketing director, Michael Morey, and of course, Laura, my wife, and my lovely little boys, Lewis and William, who have my heart. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.